G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Have you ever opened your mouth, said something really dumb, and then had to come back the next day and fix it? Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Today we continue running from God. The parable of the lost or prodigal son sums up the gospel message and God's true love for us. We want to live life on our own terms, but with everything good that comes from God, God our Father will do anything He can to have us back with Him. But Jesus says, while He was still a long way off, His Father saw Him and was filled with compassion for Him. He ran to His Son. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we continue running from God. Last Easter, it was about that long ago, I brought this thing out. You know what this is, right? This is not a pet. This is is a fish. My daughter just had to have some. And, you know, here's what I learned. To these fish, I am God. I am. I determine whether they live or die. If I don't feed them, they die. I turn a little light on, turn a little light off, turn a little light on, warm up the water, make it cold. But do you think I get any gratitude from these fish? They don't lick me in the face like my dog Milo does when I come home. No, they're not waiting on me. I go over to the bowl and they scatter. So I am God. I determine whether they live or die. Now, my little girl, Sion, had a goldfish. Its eye got infected. So what do you have to do? You have to quarantine the goldfish because the other fish will try to eat it and kill it when that happens. Do you know that? Friendly community we got here. And so I'm going to dig my hand in and try to get this fish and quarantine it in a separate bowl of water. But what does the fish interpret my actions as? He's trying to kill me. And have you ever tried to catch a moving target? So I'm reaching my hand down in here. I'm trying to save the fish's life. Even though I don't really like him that much, I'm trying to save him. (laughs) He thinks I'm trying to kill him. And a lot of little goldfishes, I don't know if that's the pearl of fish, I don't really care, but a lot of little fishies, a lot of them, they will actually die from a heart attack as you're trying to save them out of the bowl. (laughs) Now, if the difference is that great between the fish and me, how much more difference is there between God and me? Can I ask you a question? Can I, not always, but just something you got to consider. What is happening in your life right now that you're assuming God is trying to kill you when he's trying to save you? You look at it, his hand coming down, trying to grab you. He's trying to pull you out of it. A relationship, a job, an endeavor. I don't know. You think God hates you and he's after you, but in reality, he's trying to save you. Wouldn't a loving God do whatever it takes in your life, even inflict a little pain or allow some pain to occur if that's going to be what it takes to get you to turn your heart toward him? Is that an unloving God or a loving God? 
And isn't it true that God knows exactly where your breaking point is? Is it God's fault that most of us are so hard-headed that it takes a long time before we get it? Isn't it, isn't it good of God to want to pursue us to a degree that he helps us understand that a moving target is almost impossible to hit? So he has to almost remove things so that we'll just sit down at some point, come to the end of ourselves and say, I don't know what to do. Good. Now listen. He comes to the end of himself, does the young man. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. I told you we're going to talk about pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, hear me. In first century Jewish Gentile culture, if you wanted to tell somebody to go away, but you wanted to do it politely, you offered them a job that you knew they wouldn't take. And there's no way a young Jewish boy is going to take a job in a foreign land feeding the pigs unless he's totally come to the end of himself because he didn't want to really work for the pigs and make enough money to survive because feeding the pods to pigs, you can't survive. He was hoping to become an embezzler, an embezzler of pig pods. And instead of feeding the pods to the pigs, he was going to eat them himself because he's that hungry. When God has him to the end of himself, finally, the young man in the story starts making his first good decision. He says this, you know what? My life's so bad. None of these things have delivered whatever all my friends told me they would deliver. It's just unfulfilled promise after unfulfilled. Yeah, it happens. It's nice for a while, but now it's all destroyed. I'd be better off if I go back and tell my dad that I'll, I'll be a slave. At least then I'll have three good meals a day and a warm bed. I won't get to have that intimacy with dad anymore. So he says, I'm going back. Now, have you ever opened your mouth, said something really dumb, and then had to come back the next day and fix it? Did you hear about the guy who won the lottery? So he goes and tells his boss everything he thinks about his boss, only to discover that about 1,700 people also won the lottery, and he won about 356 bucks. Did you read that story? I did that with my wife once. When we were dating, I broke up with her on a Friday night. Now, because I don't know what service she attends, I, I'm not going to say too much about this, but I, I need to tell you a little bit. It wasn't going well. We, you know, we were just having some, some frustration there. We weren't speaking each other's love language, so I came over on a Friday. She was staying with some friends, and I said, look, I think we just need to end this. It's not working. Of course, she cried a little. I cried a little, and when I saw her cry, it gave me a little satisfaction. I'm sorry, girls. There's something about that in guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, you, I told you I'd be truthful. I told you I'd be truthful. So I got in the car and I went home. I, I couldn't have been 10 minutes down the road and it hit me. It's like God, God there are a few times in my life where I, I, it's like God's voice was audible. I didn't say it was. I just felt that way. It's like God said, what, what have you done? This is the woman I've chosen for you. This is the woman that you need by your side. Because everybody knows behind any man is a greater woman. This woman is who you need. She's going to give you everything. She's going to teach and train you all the way. I mean, that's basically how it goes, right? God, let's be honest while we're on the topic. She always said, I married a younger man because the Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't fall from it. So we're very honest about that. We're very honest. So that's what she says. 
Now, now I'm there and I'm, now I've realized, hey, I've blown it. I didn't pray about it, didn't seek God's wisdom, didn't seek the counsel of my accountability partners. I just did it. God says, now you get yourself back over there. So I called. Now you got to understand, she's protected. She's been crying through the night. And of course, I didn't know that. But the man she's staying with gets on, no, the woman gets on, the, the woman she's staying with, the mother gets on the phone. It's not her mother. Who is this? It's Jeff. I got to talk to Robin. No, you can't. <laughs> Why not? Because you're not nice. And you're not going to talk to her. And I said, well, I need to talk to her. I've made a mistake. She goes, hold on one second. So she goes away. The father comes on. Who is this? This is Jeff. Can I talk to Robin? No, you can't. Why? You're not nice. And it goes right on through the family, the brothers. So I, it goes, and finally I get to Robin. Hey, I need to come see you. Okay, whatever. So I go see her. And I'm, I'm making my plan. I'm planning my speech all the way. And I know I'm, I'm, and they made me crawl. Let me tell you, it took me half a day to get her back. Some of you women saying, yeah, I'd have given you more than that, pal. Okay, half a day. And finally, but I'd memorized, I knew what I was going to say. I said, Robin, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking, but let me tell you what I feel. I feel that the hope of having you as my wife someday is worth all the weight and the patience I could ever muster. Pretty good, huh? <laughs> Pretty good, huh? And I got her back. Now think about this for a moment. Whew, that was one of the greatest pursuits of my life, I got to tell you. Now, What's this guy thinking? I've told my dad, I wish he was, he's dead. I've taken money out of the family treasure and given it to a foreign land, a foreign family. And he starts thinking, what am I going to say? I know I'm not good enough to go back as the son, but maybe I can live as a slave. He walks down the road. I promise you, he's going to get ridiculed. And when the townsfolk see him coming back, they're going to be saying, man, I can't believe you got the nerve to show your face anywhere in this town. Are you crazy, man? And he's thinking, have I made a mistake? Listen, I'm, it's ridicule 101. I'm in big trouble. And then what happens? You know what saddens me about what I'm about to read? What happens is that when Jesus' audience would have heard it, they wouldn't have liked it. Because religious, religious people tend to be so ritualistic and they think there's got to be a long list of what you've got to do and God won't take you back until you do all of them. But Jesus says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son. Western mind doesn't move him that much. Eastern mind, a Middle Eastern nobleman never ran. Never. Aristotle wrote, great men never run. Great men are run too. They kind of sway like John Wayne. <laughs> this is Today with Jeff Vines. As prodigal children of God's, we are welcomed with open arms when we turn our hearts back to our Heavenly Father. This is the conclusion of running from God. Here's Pastor Jeff. Do you see what Jesus is saying? My goodness, do you, they, they didn't like it, but do you see what he's actually saying? I mean, it's almost offensive. And part of me can understand this Jewish audience being offended because he's saying, if you go away and you blow everything, you commit every sin under the sun, it's like, he's saying, I'll tell you what God thinks about that. What God thinks is as soon as you turn your heart toward home, everything is forgotten. It's so forgotten, and he's so overwhelmed with love that you'd come back that he forgets his robe. He forgets who's watching. He forgets his own dignity. Now, it's God we're talking about. And he just sees a, a young man who's hungry, starving, aching, exhausted. So God takes off like Kobe Bryant on a fast break. He just started running down the road. 
And the guy's wondering if he's made a mistake and then the father comes up and hugs him and the Bible says he kisses him. And the way it's written in the original language, over and over, he just kisses and kisses and hugs and hugs. So the son, he starts delivering his planned speech. He had a long time to think about it. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can get out, so I'll be your slave. The father said, oh, no, no, go there. You be quiet. You listen to the speech that I've been preparing the day you left. Here's my speech. I've been thinking too while you've been gone. Here's how it goes. Bring out the ring. Go to the top dresser drawer. Get it out. I've been looking at it every day. Put it on his finger and tell him you're not going to be a slave. You've got the son. The ring represented authority. Full sonship. Everything I have belongs to you now. And bring out that robe. The robe I look at in the closet every morning. Is this the day my son will come back? Is this the day? You ever wondered why the father saw the son so far off? I think he had messengers along the way. Is he back? Is is today the day? Put it on him, the sign of royalty. You are part of the king's kingdom and everything I have belongs to you. And while you're at it, kill the fatted calf and call Lionel Richie. We're going to have a party. (laughs) See, I wonder at what moment, at what moment did the son, did it dawn on him, this has never been about money. It's always been about relationship. And it broke the father's heart that the son actually thought that by living away from the father, his life would be better. But nowhere in the text does Jesus say that the father said, now, if you're willing to pay everything back, then I'll let you come home. He just says, no, no time for that. You're home and that's what matters. And he surrenders to the love of the father. Man, guys, let me, let me tell, tell you something. I, I just feel like we've messed this up, man what it is to be a follower of Jesus. We messed it up. We've forgotten the heart of the Father. And so those that God has great passion for, they won't come. They won't come home. Because they think if they come home, we're not going to treat them like the Father did the Son. We're going to look down our nose at them, think we're better than they are. This is the last place they want to come, a place like this. There was a young girl who grew up in Traverse City, Michigan. Her father owned a cherry orchard. She didn't get along with her father that well. She's just a young teenager because he always made, you know, he, he's kind of conservative. So the nose ring and the navel piercings and the short skirts kind of, it's kind of hard for him to handle. He tried to talk to her, but there just seemed to be a gap between the two. And when the father would knock on the door, she would scream out, I hate you, go away. I don't want to talk to you. She got grounded a few times and that just made her more mad and she began to seethe. So what happened? She came up with a plan. She's going to run away from home. She wants to run away where dad can't find her. So she's not going to go to California or Florida. That's the first place dad will look. She's going to run away to Detroit. Seven hours away. She puts the plan into action. She runs away. Two days after she's in town, she meets a guy who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. Everybody calls him the boss man. He puts her up in a penthouse, buys her lunch and tells her she can order whatever she wants to from room service. She starts thinking to herself, man, I was right. Mom and dad know nothing. This is the life. Their life is so boring. A couple of weeks go by, then a month, and the big boss man starts teaching her things that men like. And because she's underage, men will pay a premium for her. She doesn't like it at first, but she thinks, man, I have everything I've ever wanted. I'm well, look at this. This is the life, the party life. 
She got scared once. She saw her face on a milk carton. And she was terrified. But then the longer she looked at it, the more she realized, I don't look anything like this. My hair's blonde now. I've got all the tattoos and the piercings. There's no way anybody's going to recognize me. I'm safe. And the boss man kept giving her little pills that made her feel better than she ever felt before. 12 months, 18 months, then she got sick. She started to get sick. And the boss man, she couldn't believe how quickly he turned from loving her to hating her. And he said, you got to be careful, man. We got to be careful in this business these days. But she just keeps getting more and more sick. So he kicks her out on the streets of Detroit in the wintertime. And now she has no penthouse, no clothes, no food. She goes and she grabs a coat out of the dumpster with some newspapers. She starts sleeping behind the shopping mall every night close to the vents and she covers up. One night goes by, another night, and it's cold. She has to sleep with one eye open, though, because you never know what's going to happen in Detroit. One night, it's really cold. And she curls her toes and her feet and her legs up into the blanket or the coat and the newspapers. She doesn't feel like a woman of the world anymore. Now she feels like a little girl again. She starts crying. She gets this image in her head. The cherry orchard in May. All the blooming of the cherries and the sunshine and the warmth and the love of mom and dad. She gets some money and she calls home. First time she gets the answer machine. Second time she gets the answer machine. Third time she gets it again, but this time she talks. Mom, Dad, I'd like to come home now. Can I come home? I, I don't know if you think I'm alive or if you think I'm dead, but I, I'm going to buy a bus ticket from Detroit, Traverse City. My bus will arrive there tomorrow night at midnight. If you're there, I'll know you love me and that you you'll take me back. If you're not, I'll, I'll just stay on the bus and go on up to Canada, try to start a new life there. She gets on the bus. She has seven hours to write her speech, to think about what she's going to say. She hasn't apologized to anybody in a long time. She doesn't know, really know what that's like, what to say. The bus pulls in. The bus driver in an aggravated tone says, you got 15 minutes. We got to move on. She says to herself, great, 15 minutes to decide the rest of my life. She gets off the bus. Doesn't see anybody. I want to read the rest of the story because I want to get it right. But then she walks into the terminal, not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepare her for what she's about to see. There in the concrete walls and the plastic chairs, bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and a great grandmother to boot. And they're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers. And taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computer-generated banner that reads, Welcome home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares, tears quivering in her eyes like hot mercury, and begins to memorize her speech or delivered a memorized speech. Dad, I'm sorry, but he interrupts her. Hush, child. We got no time for that. No time for apologies. You're going to be late. 
There's a party. There's a banquet waiting for you at home. It's time to come home now. You've been away long enough. Time to come on home. Time to stop lying to yourself that you're at home with the Father when you know you're not. And time to turn your heart to get on the bus. And if you'll come home, there's a big, big celebration party in heaven. The angels just wait. But it's time to come home now. For grace to be amazing, it has to be amazing. I'm asking you that when I pray this prayer and we do this one song, that you come down that aisle and you let me welcome you home. And if you move out, people will move for you. I know there's not much room. Hey, they'll move. They see you moving, they'll move. What will people think? Let me tell you what people will think in this room because it's finally part of the DNA of Christ Church. You know what they're going to think? Great! Somebody's coming home. And by you coming home, chances are somebody else will say, well, if they're going home, I'm going home. And the reality is some of you have not left home completely. You've just left home in an area of your life because you think you know better. Come on home now. Time to come home. Father, we are grateful for your love and for your grace. We come before you right now acknowledging that your grace is so powerful and so wonderful. It's hard to imagine for us. It's so good that we, we, we think it can't be real. And yet it is. It is your message to us that God doesn't want us living in a distant land that he wants to be involved in every aspect, every day of our lives, that we're hearing from him. And he's so gracious that we're following him. And even when we fail, he's still there with that amazing grace. Day after day after day, his mercies are new. For those who feel like there's an anchor, there's an anchor wearing them, tying them down to the chair and they just can't make it. I pray by the power of your spirit, the anchor would be cut loose. And as they take that first step, the next steps will be easier. <coughs> And if they've been brought here by a friend, that you would open their eyes to the truth that their friend loves them and generally wants what's best for them. And that their friend would walk them up and they'd come home. Welcome us home as we come to you, Lord. Run to meet us in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and that's the end of Running From God. Join us next time. The next message in the Paradigm series is about restoring marriage. Now, some of you men are thinking, yeah, you know, this is not earth-shattering. I see where you're going. That's probably right. Some of you women are going, oh, I think I know where he's going with this. You're right, because men continue this task orientation pattern into their relational lives. So just about the time they get the marriage job done, they check it off the list and then they move on to the next item on life's agenda. Today with Jeff Vines. 
just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.